Field of 12 After Dark College Football Show, George Whitfield, joined by the two baddest co-pilots that you could ever have, Christian Hackenberg out of We Are Penn State, and the man with two homelands, Aggieville, Trevor Knight, and Norman, Oklahoma, which we will come back. Norman is probably smoking right now. Fellas, big week five. How are we rolling? You all right? We're doing all right. We're, uh, you know, me personally, trying to dust off a little of this, uh, this bad taste in my mouth. Man, as a, as a graduate and a fan, I know we'll get to it. Tough day in the night household. I got to tell my little son that. It's not easy over here today. Yeah, you guys got it both ways. You got it both oh. ways. Hack. We're certainly going to yeah. talk about how did you describe the Big Ten West? Oh, it's a I mean, it's a it's an absolute shit show over there. I mean, that, I mean, I probably described it in a lot more PC terms, but it is. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Um, I think they're drunk. So we'll drunk. see what happens. Yeah, they're drunk. Um, but yeah, Big Ten's Big Ten West is going to be interesting. It'll be interesting. The show is going to get interesting. Speaking of the show, we are. Presented by Bet Rivers. If you're going to bet your games, go to Bet Rivers. You can find us on SiriusXM app and follow us with your apparel, Field of 68.shop, Field of 68.shop. Get all the swag, Field of 12, Field of 68. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're getting ready to cover the big uh, week five college football. Did the Roman Army lose its general? Are the White Walkers going to trip up? on this sleepy trip out west with Missouri. And did the Kansas Jayhawks and Kentucky Wildcats both remain undefeated? Let's go into it. For those of you joining us after Clemson and Florida State, we're going to start there. Fellas, Clemson, are we starting to see their heavyweight moxie? Yes, they got kind of started with good pole position early. Hack, we talked about that a lot. Yeah. Where you get ranked and then, like, is that really you? Notre Dame was also at top five. You know, they're trying to get votes in the top 50 right now. What were your immediate impressions, Hack, of, of Clemson and just their overall look and feel? Are they back to being heavyweight knockout material? Yeah, I think it's interesting that they're doing it a different way. Um, we kind of touched on it a little bit this week when we talked previously. You know, they don't have those killers outside that are creating a ton of separation defensively they're they're good up front the back end's a little not what it's been up to from 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 previous years so it's cool to see them doing it a different way and I'm really happy for DJ I thought he's he's done a great job of not playing outside of himself and just playing within himself within the system and he's been playing really efficient football um last two three weeks and I think that's going to only continue to to build for him um and I think you know again it's the ACC it's 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 pretty wide open, and Clemson's got a chance to get back to to, to be the top dog in the talk of that conference. Uh, Trevor, to Hack's point, to be the top dog in a Power Five conference, don't you need a quarterback that you can win because of? Or like, like basically, is DJ a win with guy, or is he a win because of guy? Up until this point, I think he's more of a win with guy. That being said, this was the game. Uh, top top 10 matchup, right? This is the game that they had circled. The rest of their schedule, maybe at the beginning of the year, looked a little bit more tough, but with Notre Dame falling off and Florida State losing today, they'll be out of the top 25 
as it stands right now, this was their last top 25 matchup of the year. And so he can be a win with guy. He may not have to be a win because of guy going down the stretch. Now, as we've seen in every conference, there have been guys come up and, and teams come up and play out of their minds on one week and then the next week play like they hadn't even been on a field before. So anybody can come up and, and, and sneak up on anybody at this point. I don't see it happening in the ACC. I think uh, Clemson's got their eyes set on uh, hoisting the trophy in that conference. Clemson's looking to hoist the trophy. We are going to host, hoist a toast. Uh, Tis our tradition uh, this year, last year here at Field of 12. We look back at the, at the week that we just had or the night we just had, raise a toast to our favorite player team thing. Chris Hackenberg, we're going to roll with you on your first call of a toast there. Yeah, I'm going to toast to the stones of the Ohio State punter up 49 to 10 with what four or five minutes left fourth and two my boy's got the edge he takes it and takes one in the chin late which i don't blame ruckers at that point i'm kind of yeah. old school with that. Yeah, i don't man. blame ruckers so yeah. that dude's got a, a freaking sack on him dude good for him good for him because i know ryan day's got to explain that now he's got to awesome. explain it to the media it's oh, just so do it think, yourself type. Oh, I, it looked like it to me. It looked like one of those things where he's like, but coach told me that if I got the edge, right. I'm going right. Situational awareness, my guy, situational awareness. But to, like I said, to his ball bag, he going to get, he going to get his two minutes on sports center tonight to you, sir. Whew. Trevor Knight. Yeah. Tonight. I'm going to go, to, I'm going to go with a team that, that we will talk about that, that I've probably toasted in some form or fa- some former fashion this year. Um, but I'm going to go to the fans of this school, the mm. Kansas Jayhawk fans, not only for showing up and packing out a stadium that I've personally played in twice that may have had seven or eight fans in, but I don't know. I, I need a fact check here. I think they've stormed the field every single home game this year so far. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm not a home I, I'm not a storm the field kind of guy. I know that we this kind of lately, you know, you win a decently big game, you storm the field, but I'm all for it. I want Kansas fans to storm the field every single game this year as long as they keep winning. Cheers to the Kansas fans, baby. Jay Hawk do, you think, do you think that's a tradition they need to carry on now? Like, hey, we set yeah. the precedent. Like if we start winning even into next year, like they're like, ah, oh, screw it, man. We just meet it. We meet it. Yeah, like fa- fast <laughs> forward, like 50. fast forward fifty years down the line, yeah. Kansas is a top dog in college football. They're beating the crap out of somebody. Storm the field, just storm all, it. All their fans just wait on the each forty as they shake hands, and then they just meet at the fifty as well. <laughs> you should. They should storm the field, win, lose, or draw. Just storm. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Get it going. That'd be awesome. Um, I'm going to roll my toast. First of all, to the godfather of college football. I don't know just as this crew, if we've ever done one without paying incredible respect to the godfather of college football, Coach Corso, who was not on game day today, battling a little flu or something like that. Coach, we're with you. Can't wait to see you back. My toast is to go blue. The Michigan Wolverines carried that big number five target on their back into that rat's nest of a of a environment in Kinnick Stadium. And I mean that in the best way, tough place to play. As Coach Harbaugh said, top five teams take their ranking and go to die there. 
Michigan boxed them up 27-14. We're starting to get a nice little look at who the Wolverines are right off their playoff appearance last year. Nothing but consistency, even as they're breaking in a new quarterback. Look strong up front, look strong on both back ends. The Wolverines going into Iowa and getting it done. All right, fellas, we're getting this business taken care of. If we can, we got the Clemson business buttoned up. Can we talk about the White Walkers? You guys good with that? Ooh. University of Georgia White Walkers go west, play easily one of the weakest teams in all the SEC, a potential trap game, attention's all everywhere else. They're looking ahead. They get in there and they get caught early, almost to an uncomfortable degree, and they squeak it out as championship teams sometimes do. Georgia beats Missouri 26-22. Trevor, I'm going to start with you, being that it's down there. Did we learn anything from them, or is this just par for the course? Everybody can't get knocked out in the first round, although they did that last year. Is like, is there some good to take from this from Georgia? First of all, I, and I don't, I'm going to answer the question first, George, but I would love to talk about this at some point. Are we still calling them the White Walkers? Are they the White Walkers until they aren't no more? Because they look very beatable to me. They last did. Week, they did. They and did. this week. But you can look at this two different ways. You can look at this as, hey, this is a phenomenal team and great teams in the face of adversity find a way to win. Or you say, hey, man, they didn't look all that great. They, they, they went to a Missouri team. That they had no business being in the game, and they looked very beatable. I personally think at this point in the season, it was a still a great team going and finding a way to win when the odds were stacked against them. But you look at this game, Nevis – Five, five field goals, the kicker for, uh, for Missouri. You turn any of those into touchdowns, this is a very different ball game. Now, granted, he, said he hit some long field goals, a couple over 50, a couple in the 40s. I mean, the dude was just painting them all over the place. So, so tip of the cap to him. But I think at this point, all that being said, this is still a great team finding a way to win in the face of adversity. Heck, are you are – you... Along the same lines. Green yeah, I'm, they just deflected a, a tough challenge today. I think I'm on board with that, man. I think October always seems to be spooky season too, man. Yep. Like this yep. is where this is where I think you made a point of it last week, George, where this is kind of that time of the season where you start seeing teams figure out who they are and what they want to be and start setting the precedent for for the path forward. You see it with with your Alabamas. They usually get one in the chin. They either lose it or it's close and then they start running away. Ohio State's the same way. This Georgia team's getting there. And I think the last two weeks for them has, has been that. Their schedule here moving forward. We'll see what happens. They know what they got to do. They have some contenders in the East this year that that are some solid teams. Uh, one went down today, but still a very good team. So we'll see. But I think this Georgia team's still a very good football team. Uh, tip of the cap to Missouri coming out and executing. But, um, you know. I still think that this Georgia team's in a really good position to do everything they want to do uh, moving forward throughout the rest of the year. Uh, to those of you joining us, still to 12 after dark college football. Yes, that exchange between Trevor and I about the White Walkers. We have dubbed the University of Georgia football team by way of its toughness in defense, the White Walkers last year. To me, yes, heck, 
would you agree it rolls until it doesn't or until you lose 55-24 to TCU? If you get beat 55-24 to TCU, then we probably do. Gotta, oh, man. You know, we probably do got to come take that off. But that was a unnecessary <laughs> shot. I thought I was, was. today to the future that was awfully tacky on my part yeah university of georgia survives on the road number one we'll see if they're kept number one in the rankings let's go to a more evenly matched matchup we'll stay in jurassic park sec kentucky and old miss these two got down this is exciting contrasting styles here for us uh it was old miss and the fighting lane kiffins taking out kentucky 22-19, and, and it honestly came down to the last possession. Will Levis, who inexplicably led a two-play 80-yard drive to get down there, is holding on to the ball, doesn't respond to the pressure, driving up to the A-gap, goes to throw it, fumble or pick or however it goes, and up goes Kentucky's undefeated season, 22-19. Hack, this one caught your attention. Yeah. Coming into this, you expected to see what versus what actually happened. Well, coming into it, I, 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 Ole Miss had been really quiet. It, it was just they were quietly here, there, and another team where I'm sitting there going, new quarterback. I know Lake. I know Lane's a, an offensive savant and can kind of make that work. But a new quarterback coming in from from USC, he really wasn't lighting the world on fire through the air kind of did some stuff with his legs you know but hey lane can get creative real quiet and then you got an sec team or or, or, a, or a kentucky team coming in been challenged down in florida won that really liked the direction they were heading and to me kentucky came out very uncharacteristically slow and sloppy on special teams which ultimately mm -hmm. cost them leaving five i think it yeah it was five points out there or four four or five points out there on special teams gimmies it wasn't it wasn't anything crazy it wasn't a 40 something yard field goal uh, miscommunications, things of that nature, which ultimately came back to cost them. And then you have a guy in Levis who's your dude. And it wasn't just that last one, George. They had a chance to win it like 40 seconds before that. And he right. going for a couple extra yards on a quarterback keeper on third down, yep. gets banged up, you know, helmet hits the ball, comes out on that. So it's a real unfortunate thing. But I do want to give a lot of credit to Ole Miss. I thought they came out and played really well, played really hard. I thought offensively they developed a little bit more. Jackson Dart did some things that I hadn't seen out of him, even, even at SC, just in terms of throwing the football over the middle of the field consistently. Made some mistakes, but um, I think Kiffin's going to coach those guys up and go. But I also think that from a Kentucky standpoint, they'll rebound from this. All the, all the things that happened are correctable. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, they just they, they need to continue to climb and not let this be a major setback. And I think this team can still make some noise and, and – put themselves in a good bowl game at the end of the year, and it'll be a success for the program. A lot of noise. If you go back and you kept looking about the special teams of Missouri hack, you said they had five field goals. If one of those converted into a touchdown, mm -hmm. Kentucky and Georgia are tied in the East. Yep. You really never know how this thing is going to rumble. Yep. Uh, Trevor, to you, and I want you to take this where you want to go with it, but just answer me this on the way out. Is it time to look at Lane Kiffin as a nationally, as like a national heavyweight ball coach? No, not yet. And here's why, okay? They haven't played many people this year. Like, this was a great win, but I think that Kentucky – like, Well, I'm not saying – so I want you to keep going with the thought. You, I'm not buckling it just to this season. 
I'm saying okay. this man. This, body this is a good question, George. This is a good question. It is a good question. I think he's a. I think he's such a unique uh, personality. Uh, he's he's won some really big games. He's been able to. I mean, Matt Corral was fantastic. He kind of molded Matt Corral into who Matt Corral is. They had some really fun years. Now he brings in Jackson Dart, been a little up and down. But my point was this, this year, like, and the reason I'm not painting it yet is because once he does this through a couple different recruiting classes, a couple different quarterbacks, so on and so forth, that's when I think you can pin a guy. But they played Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and Tulsa prior to, to this game. And they've won all those games, and they've looked pretty good. But let's see what happens when they get in the meat of this SEC West schedule with a young new quarterback who's kind of played up and down, a little inconsistent. And and my point to this game specifically was, even though uh, they won the football game, I think Kentucky is still by far the better team. Will Levis is going to play a lot on Sundays. They had some of those uncharacteristic mistakes. Hack mentioned it. They started really sloppy and slow. If this game's at Kentucky, I don't think it's even near as close, right? Um, so I, I say all those little variables, you can mix and match it. I just I need a little bit more time and a little bit more experience of winning big time games with different players that aren't named Matt Corral uh, before I put that banner on the, on his plaque. Yeah, see, I I got to go the other way. You got to give him. They made all kinds of noise at FAU just to get to this opportunity. And then before that, single-handedly, he moved Coach Saban into the 21st century of, of offense. Single-handedly. All, and then the other coordinators were able to kind of come in there, and then they had room to move and operate. Like, just think about it. I'll okay, like, so are we talking about this on. as a coach period, yeah. or are we yes. talking about him at, yes. at Ole Miss? No, yes. no, no. As a coach. No, no, as a coach. As a coach. Okay, that's a, I think that's a different conversation. I took it more as at Ole Miss, head coach, tenure there. No, I'm saying if one of those four or five blue blood programs should ever come open again, he is now up to, like, to me, he's on the short list. Hack, but, but here's, but here's the thing, it. though, George. Here's the thing, though, George. Like, look at him. He's had a really unique career because he got anointed early. I mean, early. think about it. Like, he was at. He was at SC. And he was the, the head guy. He was the, he was in, 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 in the league. And then he was the guy at Tennessee, which at that point in time, it was still a blue blood program. Like Tennessee was not dream jobs. By like, at, years old. Yeah. And this guy, you know, and, and for him to kind of have and get kicked in the balls the way he did at all those stops and then ultimately end up back to where he's at right now. Yeah. That takes, that takes a different kind of cat, man. I mean, yeah. you went up, down and now you're climbing back that mountain and you're learning from the mistakes like I, I don't know much about lane never met him i'm sure we'd have a good time drinking beers and i'd like to get to know him more but when you just talk about football x's nose his mountain his journey i think he's a guy that can figure it out has learned a lot and is very veteran in his ultimate lack of age i mean he's got a ton of experience in there that you can't really you can't make up for man and he's he's done it the right way so, Hack, let me run this to you, and then we'll roll out of this. To both of you, you both are Lane Kiffin's agents. Let's play the game. Let's just say he's making five at Ole Miss. I'm Nebraska's AD. I'll get your guy 10. 10. 
on a 10-year deal. How about a nice Brian Kelly deal? And we'll throw in two farms. I don't think he needs two farms. What are you, what are you advising Kiffin to do? And I'm going to tell you. So he can find his punter. The, the Big Ten West, it's the drunk side of the, of the best conference in America. Bring your boy on up here and let's go make some noise. It's the Big Ten West. You guaranteed Minnesota, Northwestern, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa. Bring your guy on up here. Let's make some noise. Hey, if I'm Nebraska, I'm making a run at it. If I'm, if I'm, I mean, it's got to be a good offer. Because the thing SEC is, SEC West, you're you're easily Bama, A and M, LSU will be back. Bama, A and M, LSU. I don't know whether we put Mississippi State. Basically, you're battling your own yeah in-state rival for to be the fourth best. It's a killer. Team. You if I'm if I'm making double to go to Nebraska, hell yeah, man. And I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't yeah, care. I don't care much. If I'm making double to go to Nebraska, like Lane's confident enough, he'll get, he'll win in the transfer portal, period. And that's what you got to do in a place like Nebraska right now. You got to fix it in the transfer portal. He'll win there all day long. I, I agree. I think, I think he's a player's coach. He'll find a way to make a corn stock turn into something really cool on social yeah. media or, or what have you. Um, he, to your point, Hag, I think he can be successful anywhere. I answered the question wrong about him just at Ole Miss. But We're not going to hold that against you, Trev. That's okay, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. But um, you double money. I, man, it's interesting. Like, I think coaches – there are some coaches. You guys may correct me if I'm wrong. They're just ball coaches, man. And they're – you know, whether you pay them 500 grand or – which is plenty of money or, or $5 million, like they just want to coach ball and they want to win championships and they, but you're just talking about like generational money there you're going from 5 million, which is already crazy to 10 million. You know, I think it depends on your family. I don't know. Like if it was, me, thing yeah, too, I'm going to do that. You're making 10 a year. And, and then you got to think it, you got to look at Nebraska side, right? Like Nebraska ain't going to turn you over in two years. No, you're making at least, you're making at least three or four years worth of that money. Correct. I mean, Shit. <laughs> I don't know about that. Hey, and yeah. I've never bought anything in Nebraska. 10 million seems like it could stretch up there yep. now. Yeah, that might do a little something out there. That might do some damage. <laughs> That's a couple John Deers now, sir. That's a couple John Deers. <laughs> Ole Miss knocking out Kentucky 22 19. Uh, if you're with us, welcome. This is the first time. Welcome. Grab something to sip. We're going to roll a little bit. Field to 12 after dark, Trevor Knight, Christian Hackenberg, George Whitfield. Uh, fellows, let's roll to the state of Oklahoma. Real mm -hmm. interesting couple weeks here for the Sooners and the Pokes. Let me ask you that. Why do they call them the Pokes anyway? I'm sure our chat line is about to heat up. Why are they what what does poke mean? I'll be honest, I don't know. I don't know why. I really don't. They don't call the Dallas Cowboys the Pokes. No. All right. Let's look that one up. Maybe our producer can get us some information. If there's a frat house at Oklahoma State or, you know, the agricultural building or something like that, somebody want to kick that up, we would appreciate it. Let's get to the meat of the situation. Oklahoma makes a visit down to Fort Collins today. Or, sorry, TCU, Fort Worth. 55-24, they come up on the wrong end. First time... 
with not counting the COVID season since 1999. Our producer, Rob Dowser, hit us with that. Almost 24 years that they lost two games back-to-back in the regular season, and they didn't just lose tonight. They got knocked out. Trevor, obviously, we're going to start with you. It's your show here. Oklahoma, they started top 10. They got this bright, charismatic, big-time, universally-recognized coordinator as a head coach who comes back home. You got a quarterback that's already thrown for six or 7,000 yards at UCF to come and run the show. Portal is strong. Yes, they lost some, but they already got in. They picked some guys up. They want for nothing. And they go down to a TCU team that out, not outboxed them, outclassed them. Did they, are they still drunk from like, just, did they not sober up from the Kent State game or is this who they are? Like, Break it down for us. Look. Yeah, you know, uh, the first thing that, that jumps out to me is disappointment in the, the defensive play of Oklahoma, especially with Brent Venables at the helm. Now, I get it. Brent Venables is sitting in a new leather office chair. He's trying to figure out how to shake hands, kiss babies, put together a defensive plan, uh, listen, you know, switch his mic over during the game and listen to the offensive side, worry about situational football. I mean, he's going through a learning curve himself as opposed to just dialing up a defense and being the def- best defensive mind in the country that he's been for so long. That being said, find a way to, to get your defense to stop a what I would call a pedestrian TCU team. And, and all the credit goes to him. Max Duggan played fantastic. I thought Adrian Martinez last week played the best game of his career. So you got two quarterbacks playing some of the best football they've ever played in their career against Oklahoma. Is that those guys rising to the occasion or Oklahoma defense playing that bad? I think it's a little of both. So really disappointed in Oklahoma's defense and the uh, inability to make an adjustment to stop the bleeding. That being said, in this game specifically, you saw how – much Dylan Gabriel means to this team. Now, Dylan Gabriel is not having a good game, but he's the glue that holds that offense together because you bring in number two, uh, Bevel, and it 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 fell off really bad. I mean, we had no shot of winning. Oklahoma had no shot of winning with him coming in the game. Hopefully he's able to return, but it just it's two weeks in a row now. You see the, the top dog in the Big 12 for a lot of years, that just looked extremely pedestrian on both sides of the ball. And, uh, and they're going to have to make some big changes specifically on the defensive side. If they're going to want to go up against Oklahoma state and Baylor and Kansas uh, down the stretch here, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting uphill battle. Hack, let's just go to that uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Given what they are unveiling themselves to be. Now this is back to back weeks. Couldn't really stand up and get the job done in Manhattan. Now they go down here to Fort Worth and get laid out. And you got monsters and a and a beast. We'll call Kansas a beast right now in front of you yet. How do you stabilize something like this? And when do we know the wheels just are going to come off? When is it going to get ugly? You know, this is a, a really impatient fan base. You saw what happened with our guy, uh, Spencer Rattler, 
Last year, he's leading an undefeated Sooner team, and they're already calling for number two, and they eventually got their wish. Like, they, this is a proud championship, blue blood program. How many more times can they get knocked out and still feel the support and surge of Sooner Nation? It's, and yeah. Trevor, I want you to answer the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious to see Trevor's answer on this. I, so so here's one thing, though, that I will talk about. You're, you're talking about defense, Trevor, and I don't know if you remember much about what you talked about last year, but I did tune in to the Bryce and Trevor Knight show pretty frequently, and the one thing I remember you Great talking show, about – Great show, I, I rem- The one thing I remember you guys talking about when it specifically pertained to Oklahoma was the fact that defensively they were not a very good football team last year, personnel, scheme, so on and so forth, and they – balance that out with a pretty high powered offense but you know that only takes you so far at times right so my my question is is I don't know how how much of a jump or the the thing I asked myself is I don't know how much of a jump from a personnel standpoint you're going to make with a new head coach transfer portal of an old head coach leaving on the defensive side of the ball and the fact that he's bringing in a new scheme like how much of a difference does that make in ultimate Jimmy's and Joe's that you have going out there and executing what I will say is moving forward now, if I'm Brent from a defensive side of the ball, I'm figuring out. I think you got you've had plenty enough game, plenty enough game time, plenty enough game reps to figure out what they do well and understand that you can't ask these these guys to play outside of themselves. You need to you need to kind of stay in that lane of what they do well and know that to your point, Trevor, if you have Dylan Gabriel back there, if you can keep the game close and bend don't break defensively, keep the game close and let the offense do what the offense does. Um, I think that's kind of where you have to lay your hat and hang your hat. If you're Oklahoma moving forward this year. Um, and then it's going to be up to Brent to get the guys in there defensively that he needs to run his scheme. Um, and then likewise on offense, keep up the same type of expectations that Oklahoma's earned. And, and I think that's a great point hack, but here's, here's where the disappointment comes in with Brent is that, with the same Jimmys and Joes, as you use that term, those Jimmys and Joes last year and, and the subsequent years before that weren't allowing 41 and 55 points back-to-back weeks. You know, they, they've got enough talent on that side of the ball to make an adjustment. I think that as, a, as an Oklahoma fan is what everybody is so disappointed in is, hey, you've got the best defensive mind in college football, yeah. arguably, and you're not making adjustments – with the guys that you have that are on scholarship, that are four and five star guys, maybe some three star guys up at OU, and and you're not making adjustments against an unranked TCU team that's putting up 55 points. I mean that that's where the the disappointment comes in. To your point, though, give him some time. I, I get it. It's year one. Yeah. They had a bunch of craziness going. It was kind of a, a mad dash to the finish line and getting some guys in the transfer portal, getting some guys to stay and not go with Lincoln to SC. I mean, it was crazy, but you're the best defensive mind in the country. You got to find a way to get it done and, and no stop the bleeding. But what if the bleeding gets to say six and six or seven and six when it's all, when we get to the end and it's the, it's the sooner football, um, luncheon or end of the year deal and it's six and six or seven and six well i don't i don't remember the last time that that, that's unacceptable because i I don't remember the last time an oklahoma team it it must have it had to have been before bob stoop it's been 20 plus years that they were under five if they were under 500 or even i only ask that because texas remains uh oklahoma state baylor remain the jayhawks 
are still hanging out front. Iowa State's a knuckleballer. The the weight of their schedule is in front of them. And if we're already seeing them get caught and get knocked out in some of these bar bars that they would normally be the, you know, the alpha dog in, like, how are we supposed to envision them going straight on through with the same crew? It's not like they're waiting for guys to get back healthy. This is the crew. This is the crew. And and the, the worst part about that is not like they dropped a non-conference game. This is they are 0-2 in conference, which means they got an uphill battle. And you talk about you know, hey, you drop one at the beginning of the year and you're Utah, right? You can still go out west and you can win your conference and accomplish some of the goals that you want to accomplish. You're 0-2 against two of the teams that we picked to finish in the back half of the conference. To your point, George, you got an uphill battle to even get to the point where you're uh, in the conversation of, well, you're not in the conversation, I guess is the point. Like you're not going to the Big 12 title game. It is a failed season already in Norman. If you ask me before we roll Dylan Gabriel is, is this what you, I mean, obviously all Sooner fans want to see him play at his absolute best, but could you have seen this coming out of him and look, where do they go with that, that trigger man? Because yeah, a whole lot of schools have great quarterbacks, but I don't know too many programs who are anchored or, or triggered as much by the quarterback as this program has been in the last decade. He, he's a, he's an incredible band-aid. Uh, despite the last two weeks, a guy that has the experience that he has, that can come in and drive culture that understands the offense. He is a, he's a godsend for, for, uh, for that Oklahoma team. Him going down to my point earlier proved that because they don't have the depth behind them. They got to go out and get some cats, whether it's the transfer portal or some guys coming through this recruiting pipeline to kind of fill that room back up. And we've talked about it. You lose two guys that are starting at big time programs in Caleb Williams at USC and Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. Say what you want about them. That's, that's depth a, in a QB room. That's a hit. And so you see, you see Dylan Gabriel go down this week and that is a blow to Oklahoma. You got to be on your hands and knees, hoping and praying that he stays healthy the rest of the year, or it could get really, really bad. I think last week, not to dwell on last week, but I thought Dylan Gabriel played really well in the loss to Kansas State. Uh, they gave up 41 points. Tough to win that way, but he is the glue on that offensive side of the ball. Speaking of that offensive side of the ball, uh, Oklahoma State was able to find some 36-25. They beat Baylor on the road. Big win. Going back to our earlier question, since none of us on this show here on this broadcast are uh, farmers or cowboys, we ask about the meaning or origin of cow uh, of a poke. And our producer, Trevor, brought it brought it to me that a cowboy, uh, another name for a cowboy is a cow poke. This is because cowboys would have to poke the cows occasionally to get them going in the right direction. So they call them the pokes. I bet you the Dallas Cowboys, I bet you somebody probably mumbled that to, uh, to them and they probably shot them down. We will never have the pokes uh, associated with the Dallas Cowboys, but that's what Oklahoma State is associated with. Now they're associated with winning. We'll skip past the game. Big win, obviously, for Oklahoma State. I don't think it was that devastating for Baylor. They'll bounce back. Oklahoma State is now going to wind up pushing into – um, let's see where they were ranked coming in. 
Nine. There are nine. They were already nine. They were already nine. And we'll have to see where the fallout is from, from the rest of the top five. Is it time to start maybe looking at Oklahoma State as a national power? Hack, I'll start with you. Are they or are they really just finding some good timing? And this is when, you know, we're only going into October and they happen to be slated here. What's the better way to view them? I think they're a, a very solid and consistent program that also is benefiting from some timing this year and even last year. Um, the conference has been in some turmoil. They were always, I think, kind of playing the spoiler under under Gundy for, for a f- quite a few years now. You know, solid team. They're going to go out there, get you seven, eight, nine, eight, nine, nine wins. And um, we're very competitive. But I think the past two years, uh, they've they've done some things, turned the corner, took advantage of some ups and downs and some inconsistency and, and boats boats rocking in some turbulent seas at some of the other traditional powerhouses in the conference. And they've done a damn good job of capitalizing on it. And I think this is a really good football team. Um, and they got a chance to win the conference. Uh, they're they're kind of in the driver's seat at the moment, talking about, you know, Trevor, Oklahoma, sitting at 0-2 in the conference. Um, you know, Baylor dropped one today, obviously. Um, so, you know, I they're in the driver's seat, uh, and it's it's hard to argue with that. So where they're sitting right now, yeah. I mean, they're right there. They go out and win this conference, run the table. You you give yourself, like I say, you always give yourself a chance to to be that fourth at large pick that's not Big Ten and not two SEC teams. Well, it is going to shape up because it is basically a three-league race, ACC, Pac-12, and the Big 12. It's going to get interesting. Like Hack just said earlier, October is scary season in college football. Fellas, let's go to a really intriguing game for many aspects. Uh, Texas A&M locked horns with Mississippi State. And Texas A&M, I don't know if anybody's had a noisier September uh, than the Aggies. Really a noisy preseason, too. Uh, but we expect a lot out of him. And we, I expect a lot out of Coach, Coach Fisher. And he expected, obviously, much more out of his quarterbacks. They did not get that done today. He did not see any of that realized. Mississippi State knocking out AM 42-24. I had no idea that Mississippi State could go toe-to-toe with a team like this and outclass them. I don't even know if it was really this close. Uh, Trevor, this is your alma mater, homeland, home. Walk us through it. Yes, the game, but just take us to it right now. Inside of that football building, can you kind of give us what the pulse is of where they are? What What's the level of panic? Uh, where is the pressure points? And how do they tie a tourniquet on this thing and kind of stop it? I'll say this, internally and externally, zero confidence, zero identity in, in who this team is. These guys are walking around the locker room, and if you ask them to look in the mirror and say, hey, answer honestly – who are we today? I don't think there's a single member of that program that could confidently say who they are. And, uh, and a lot of that points to your head coach and play caller, same guy, and, and your quarterback. From a quarterback standpoint, Haynes King starts the year. He doesn't play well. They put in Max Johnson. Max Johnson ends up getting a win over a Miami team that's proven to not be very good. He somehow – scrapes by and gets a win last week against number 10 Arkansas, which Arkansas handed that one away. I, I don't know how they, they got 
A&M got through that one with a win. And then he comes out this week, and it's just very pedestrian. Haynes King comes back in. Your week one starter that won the job over the other guys in this, in this uh, QB room throws two interceptions, including a pick six on like 12 or 13 pass attempts. Looked horrible. Zero confidence. And so look at the quarterback not playing good football. But let's look at our head coach, a guy that's getting paid just as much as anybody in college football, that's calling the plays, that is now with two really, really bad losses. And I'm n- n- nothing against Mississippi State, but they are not a juggernaut in the West. And obviously the Appalachian State loss, was, which was terrible. Jimbo Fisher is making tons of money. He had a number one recruiting class. He's had time sitting in that office to where he can develop culture. And he's not making a change with this offensive scheme. I don't think he's putting these guys in a position to be successful. And it's showing up on Saturdays. It's it's really tough to watch as a fan. But I think as any college football analyst would look at it, you'd look back and go, these guys don't have any identity whatsoever. Hack, identity oftentimes comes from the trigger man, the quarterback. You go to Tennessee, they're fluid, they strike quick, they strike big, because that's Hendon Hooker. Florida, they're scary, they get up and down the field, sometimes they can drive it, sometimes it's an 80-yard bomb, because that's Anthony Richardson. To Trevor's point, I don't know if either one of these two quarterbacks that are, are carrying the weight for uh, Coach Fisher outside of Vanderbilt could go anywhere else in the SEC and start either one. When have you ever said that about an AM quarterback or a top 10 program? How are they supposed to generate offense and go up against the like stuff? And here's the rest of this schedule. Next week, Alabama, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida, they get a little breather with UMass, LSU. Think of the monsters that are left. And you got to generate first downs and touchdowns um, with, with these two youngsters in the quarterback room. How are you supposed to do that? Well, to me, that's a self-inflicted wound. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're A&M, and to, to Trevor's point, um, and you're Jimbo Fisher, who's considered a, a – quarterback guy of sorts in terms of how he runs things and what he does and you have number one recruiting class top five recruiting class probably since he's been there uh in terms of acquisition of overall talent how do you miss the most important position on the field that you know is the most important position on the field and specifically to your philosophy and how you do things offensively um maybe they thought they hit with Haynes King King maybe uh, you know I don't know but to me, um, there's a little bit of intro. You got to look inside yourselves here and inside your program in terms of how you're identifying talent at that position and what you may or may not be doing and what you could be doing better to get the right guy in there if these, neither of these guys aren't the, aren't the answer. And I think to, to, to Trevor's point, too, um, to answer that question, y- you can't bitch and moan about it because everyone's coming. They're coming. For yeah. your back, you've, you've made enough noise in the offseason. They're coming for you. So you as a coach and as a quarterback guy need to understand how to put what you have in the best position to be successful and instill confidence in them to get going. Because at the end of the day, what they have outside, they have difference makers. They have difference makers across the board outside. you got to figure out creative ways to get them in space within the, within 
the talent level and the ceilings of that quarterback room. And I think Jimbo has that because he's he wouldn't be getting paid the money he does. And he wouldn't have the, the pedigree he has from developing quarterbacks. If you can't, if you haven't done that in the past and don't have the propensity or ability to do that. So he does, whether he's willing to do it or not is going to ultimately determine whether or not he's sitting in that cozy leather chair down there in Aggie land for much longer, in my well, opinion. Let's, well, let's talk real quick, Trevor, I'm going to go to you. Let's talk about that real cozy leather chair. You're the athletic director at AM. Your future is tied to your head coach's future. That's every power five AD. How much pressure are you under tonight? Looking at that schedule, we just rattled off. You have Alabama, Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, LSU in front of you. How much pressure are you feeling? And how much pressure are you feeling to make a change? Or are you? Well, I think there's always pressure playing in the SEC West. Uh, there's, a, there's a few conferences, and I'll even say divisions of conferences, and we talk about them a lot, that, that every single week is, is pressure-filled. I mean, you know playing the SEC West, you've got a, a crazy schedule ahead of you, and you've got to just take it week at a time, one week at a time, or else it will swallow you up from a – we use the term a mountain a lot. There's a mountain ahead of you. In the position that AM sits right now with no identity at their quarterback position, already having a horrible loss that we've talked too much about in Appalachian State and then this week, I would be extremely nervous. I'd be extremely nervous as I, if I was Ross Bjork, which is the athletic director, his conversations with Jimbo Fisher. Um, even if, if I'm pulling out my checkbook, and I'm a donor at Texas A&M, I would be nervous because the buyout's got to be insane. And I'm not saying we're calling for Jimbo Fisher's head. I believe in Jimbo Fisher. Hack, you just made some great points. He's done it before. Currently, right now, though, the, 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 the um, attack on him as a coach is no identity quarterback, no identity offense, not making any adjustments. He needs to make those adjustments and he needs to make them quick or there's going to be a lot of heat coming down the back of his neck throughout the rest of this season. And I don't know what happens. The Aggies, the Aggie faithful and, and that, that those deep pockets, they, they do some crazy things. They, and They can work for you and they can also work against they you. They absolutely can. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll say this and I'll, and I'll stop my point. If they, if this goes further South than it already is. And I mean, way South, I would not be surprised if the AM donor group came up with whatever the dollar amount is to do what is necessary for the program. So same question. Imagine the Aggies go six and six real quick. Dagan, we're rolling with you. If they go six and six, they've already got two L's, but they also have a monstrous schedule in front of might be one of the toughest schedules remaining in college football at six and six still breathe easy, get the spring ball, nothing to, to see here and get going. Not breathe easy. That's when you start talking all off season. That's when the hot seat term comes out and you start talking about real numbers. What's the number? What's the number that we've got to look at? And that's going to be a very, probably the highest number we've ever seen. And I hope that doesn't happen for Jimbo Fisher's sake and, and, and the university as a whole, but it's, it's, it could be a real conversation. All to interview Scott Frost.
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I don't want everybody down there and in, in Aggie Land to come after me. So damn. We we, <laughs> we just took care of business. Again, that was super petty. That was super unnecessary. Taking two shots at with with one stone there. Uh, let's go. Let's stay at Jurassic Park, and then I want to buzz on Michigan real quick. Let's go quick, uh, straight to the headline. Alabama took a a field trip up to Fayetteville. They came out on top, the Roman Army, forty nine twenty six. But they did suffer a loss. The loss was college football shining star Bryce Young. Uh, trying to escape a sack, gets tripped up, lands on his throwing shoulder, elbow, sprains his shoulder, he's out for the game. Now, knock on wood, because just with everything we've seen in college and pro football, I would rather have what he has right now than with some of these other things that we've been watching uh, guys go down. Nevertheless, he's out of the game and was out pretty early. Jalen Milroy, uh, next man up in the Alabama quarterback room. And that was kind of like a trivia because we've never seen Bryce Young come out of the, come out of a game. Jalen Milroy leads Alabama's charge 555 total yards. And uh, Jameer Gibbs was the anchor fellas, the Roman army. Can they continue on in their current form without Bryce Young for two or three weeks? Um, Solid output from Jalen Milroy, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. And I'm not saying he's anywhere close to the Jedi that Bryce Young is, but given his full complement and everything that we needed to see out of Jameer Gibbs, you know, in a crisis, he came through and they have the best coach maybe in sports. Could they be okay to give Bryce two or three weeks to rest his shoulder and still be unblemished? Uh, Trevor, we'll go with you. Yeah, I think, um, I think they cannot give him two or three weeks. And here's why they host Texas A&M next week. Yes. Put him in a, put him in a box, get his shoulder. Nice. They, they, they'll be fine against Texas A&M. Like we, we just talked about it. Now that's an A&M team. <laughs> mind you, that's an A&M team that beat Bama and Bryce Young last year with a third string quarterback on the road, they did. on the road. They on the road. Talked about, and we talked about how Alabama struggles on the road last week. Indeed. So before we just go sweeping AM on out of there, this one AM actually knows a little something about. All right. So there's some so there's some history there with that one. But the the, the one two weeks down the road is the one that, that they need to really worry about. They're going to Tennessee. Mm. They gotta be on their game for Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So do whatever you got to do, shoot up the arm. I've, I've had the injury, AC separation and the throwing shoulder. I, I sat out two weeks and I couldn't lift my arm for those two weeks. I don't know how many shots I got in my arm and if it was even legal, but I did and was able to play um, on senior night against LSU and didn't play all that well. So I, it just depends on how bad it is and those types of things. But one of the things that we've discussed all year long is that, Bryce Young is the first quarterback at Alabama in, in recent history. And you could throw in, you know, Tua, we've talked about this, but he is the engine that makes that go. He is the guy. It's not like they've got a Derrick Henry or some big, big back that's going to step up and, and win the Heisman Trophy. Now, you know, maybe Gibbs is, is that guy, but 
he is the, the, the guy that makes that go. He's the, he's the Heisman Trophy winner, for crying out loud. They cannot afford to play without him. This week, we'll see with AM. But if he's out against Tennessee, I'd be really nervous playing in Neyland Stadium without, uh, without your uh, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. How do you see this backup plan hack with um, Bryce Young? Are they strong enough? And could you go into Tennessee? You've, co- you've played under Bill O'Brien. Could he game up a victory on the road in Neyland Stadium with Jalen Milroy? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think to Trevor's point, this team, this Alabama team doesn't have the – at least right now, superstars that we're used to seeing this Alabama team have outside in the backfield um, that they've had of, of, of recent years. Uh, Bryce young is kind of that, but they still, it's still Alabama and they still have guys who can play. Um, You know, I think more so defensively heading into Neyland, that's where it's going to, you gotta, you gotta be ready for an up-tempo offense that executes at a very efficient clip. And they have a quarterback who's very confident right now. That's where I'd be more focused. And offensively, they still got guys. And this Jameer Gibbs kid came out, played really well against an Arkansas team that, you know, some people, Clint Sterner being one of them, talking about how how piss poor they are as tacklers. But still, a good, tough Arkansas team that has a good blue-collar backbone. Came out there and, 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 and you know, 11 yards of carry tonight. Did his thing. So, yeah, I think Alabama can do it. Um, but I think – to, to Trevor's point, Bryce Young will make this a lot less sweaty and a lot easier if he's back <laughs> under center quickly. Um, yeah. So Alabama in, in faith in, in uh, really O'Brien and the Roman army we trust uh, and best wishes back for Bryce Young. Uh I know that the heavyweight champ will be back. The reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Alabama, again, takes that one, 49-26. There has been uh, some some great college football being played. A couple of upstarts, like we said, there's a couple of, uh, uh, you know, revivals going on right now and resistances, I guess you'd say. Kansas gets another knockout. There's six. They take out Iowa State, Illinois. Beats up Wisconsin. The fighting Brett Bielema is now at Illinois, 34 to 10. Trevor, that's for you. Uh, Trevor, the producer. Fellas, more inspiring. Well, that's not a fair question to Illinois because obviously it's Kansas. What's the next biggest story? Quickly, Hack, I'm going to go to you. Outside of Lawrence, the next most inspiring upstart in college football right now would be whom? Man. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. Illinois, I think Illinois is up there. You, you got to think about where they've been in the in the Big Ten. In the since, wilderness. Yeah, since June. I mean, wilderness, man, them, them boys. I don't know. <laughs> they might have been, been in another planet for a little bit. And then, you know, hey, we'll reel this thing back in. Um, but, yeah, they um, – great job. Did a good did a good job, I think, that – Bielema has got that team headed in the right direction. Obviously, slaying Wisconsin, who's kind of owned the West for the past few years, um, that's a that's a big program win. Um, and Bielema, I'm sure, had a little little extra in there. So, that, I, I'd say Illinois. Trevor, 
can can you just you know you played in that league obviously you've gone on and won you probably celebrate a couple times in the Lawrence uh guest locker room hopefully you guys weren't popping champagne back then uh just to be they weren't them. rushing the field they were not rushing the field you made an interesting point off air and I want you to sprint through it kind of quick the culture and the things you're observing you know, like when they say, why football? Why does it have the biggest arena? Why you guys put so many resources to it? Why does it demand so much? Because it rises at entire campuses, communities, and in this case, a state. Just give us your thoughts real quick on what you noticed with that student body and, and, and you know, just the overall, just, um, I don't know, just the uprising that's happening right now. Yeah, I think I think Kansas, the University of Kansas as a whole, is a great case study on uh, on on that point, George. It's not that they lack fans. It's not that they lack passion. It's not that they lack school spirit because you see it in the basketball arena each and every season. It's about buying into something bigger. And when you see a group of men or women, for that matter, buying into something bigger and it showing up on the field, people rally around that. People want to be around that. People want to support that, regardless what the sport is, regardless what it is. And so this Kansas football team has an attraction about them that people want to spend their hard-earned time on Saturday afternoons and evenings to sit and watch this program go to battle because of what they're doing. You don't want to go out there with seven other fans when they, they you know, they lack passion. They're, they're not playing hard. I, I don't want to go watch that. I'd rather be at the bar down the road, but now I'm like, Hey, boys, girls, let, come on, hop in my truck. Let's go. We'll pay. We'll pay a couple bucks for this ticket. We'll rush on the field after the game. We'll buy some beers. And we're going to see some passion happen. It's going to be fun. We're going to be able to high five, so on and so forth. It ignites the spirit inside of a fan base that's already there. The spirit that's already there from other sports that's allowing them now to go and sit in an outdoor arena and enjoy uh, enjoy rushing the field every Saturday, every single Saturday. Trevor Knight, future senator for the state of Kansas Field of 12 after dark, George Whitfield, Christian Hackenberg, Trevor Knight. In closing, let's just get this right. Right now, we're trying to broker a deal that the University of Nebraska could double Lane Kiffin's salary and get him up there to a big Big Ten team in the West that's completely drunk, it's wide open, and he could take it in a football-dominant state. Also, right now, whoever it is that goes around and turns on the seat to make him hot and head coaches in football – is trying to figure out, does he make his way down to College Station? Which, if he does that, then does that mean Scott Frost is somewhere trying to dust off his resume or get it out of wherever he threw it? I could say, it's a lot, it's a lot. And in, in a big, you know, college football week five, imagine what week six is going to look like. Field of 12, mm. after dark, Saturday, come find out. We'll see you.